She had never seen him cry like this before. Years ago, she swears that at least once she caught him crying. He said it was allergies. But there was no disputing this time. She'd never seen him cry like this before. Heaving chest, rasping sobs, drenching tears. He was a snotty puddle of heart-wrenching despair. And she just kept thinking, what happened? He was a tough, gritty, manly man. What happened? Right? It wasn't uncommon for her to have emotional outbursts. And when that happened, she would lean on him. He was her rock. But tonight, the rock was crumbling. And she kept thinking, what happened? They'd come up to Jerusalem for the Passover. Her husband had gone out with his rabbi and their friends for an early Passover meal. And he came back a mess. What happened? What what could make something that difficult, that ugly, that despairing? come about. He'd been crushed with disappointment. Disappointment, not just in the situation, but as much as anything in himself. What happened? Well, one of Jesus' closest friends, one of Jesus' best leaders, the guy who was nicknamed the rock, the rugged fisherman from Capernaum, Peter, had crumbled under the pressure and denied his friend Jesus and left him alone to die. That's what happened. My name's Luke. It's good to see you this morning. And I've read the Bible in depth, but one thing I can't find in the Bible is a physical description of Peter, this guy who was known as the rock. But I have to imagine that a rugged fisherman, Peter's also the guy who in the garden pulls out a sword to try to attack uh, one of the soldiers arresting Jesus. I just have to imagine that, that Peter was a, a rugged guy. I don't think you get the, the nickname, the rock, if you look like this guy. I don't, I don't think that's what Peter looked like. In fact, in our culture, we actually have someone who's nicknamed the rock, and here's what he looks like. And I don't necessarily think that that's what, Jesus, or what Peter looked like. Um, I'm not sure he was quite so muscular uh, or handsome, frankly, or tatted up. I don't know if, if Peter had all of those things. But Peter was known as the rock. He was this tough, unflappable guy. And he crumbled. Now, that wasn't a surprise to Jesus. Jesus actually had told Peter that that was going to happen. Here's what Jesus told Peter in Luke chapter 22. He said, Peter, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. That's a very Peter statement. I'll never deny you. I'm always on your side. I'll go anywhere. Prison, death, I'm there. Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And sure enough, hours later, they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they'd kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. There Jesus is in the high priest's house. He's undergoing a kind of phony trial, and Peter is kind of hanging out nearby, trying to maybe listen in or pay attention when all of a sudden it's figured out who he is. 
And a servant girl, it says, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, maybe out a window or a door. And Peter remembered saying, the saying of the Lord, how he'd said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter failed. Peter folded. And so he wasn't there as the hours of the night went on. And Jesus was falsely accused, and Jesus was mocked, and Jesus was flogged, and Jesus was bit, beaten. He wasn't there as the hammers were driven into Jesus, the nails were driven into Jesus' hands and feet. He wasn't there as Jesus was put on the cross. He'd folded. And this was not Peter's plan. Jesus had been preaching that he came to bring the kingdom of God. Jesus had preached the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. This didn't look like what Peter thought the kingdom of God was going to look like. Now Jesus is dead, having been abandoned by his best friend Peter in his final hours. And so Peter was right to be sad. This was not his plan. And if you think about this, his plan failed. What he thought Jesus was going to be, crushing disappointment. And he failed. Even more crushing disappointment. So let me ask you, what about your plan? Right, you have a plan for your life, don't you? You have a plan of how you kind of think things are going to go. You've had a plan of how you thought life would unfold. You had a plan of how you thought life would go. How's it going? See, our situation is pretty different from Peter, but many of us can relate to Peter. Where we expected things to go one way. And they've gone horribly different. Maybe you planned to have a long, happy marriage. But now you're betrayed and abandoned. Maybe you planned to have a successful career, but now you hate your job. You're just stuck. Maybe you planned for a happy, relaxed life, and yet you're just constantly feeling anxious. You can't shake it. Maybe you planned for retirement to be filled with travel and fun and rest. And instead travel is just you going to the doctor. Maybe you planned that you'd be a mom, but every Mother's Day is gut-wrenching because you still can't get pregnant. Maybe you thought, oh, when I go to this new school, it'll be a fresh start and I'll fit in. But now, they still pick on you just like they did at the old school. Maybe you thought, I'd have a boyfriend by now. But you just feel invisible. Maybe you thought, oh, my grown kids, maybe you plan, my grown kids, they'll someday follow Jesus. And yet, they don't care at all about Jesus. You invited them here, maybe even today. And they say, eh, nah, not interested. Maybe you planned what you'd wear to your child's wedding. But instead, you had to pick out what you'd wear to their funeral. 
Maybe you plan to grow old together. But cancer won. And you're alone. Maybe you planned and you planned and you planned and you planned. But maybe you never followed through on your plans. And so your life's just filled with regret. Maybe you planned for a great life, but you screwed it up. Your mistake sabotaged you. You said, I'll never do this, and then you did it. I'll never spend that, and then you spent it. I'll never go there, and then you went. And maybe you planned a great life, and you have it. And yet, you can't shake the guilt you feel because you're still not happy, even though you have everything you planned for. Now, listen, I I know that that's dramatic and intense. I know that uh, if you if you got invited here today, they probably said, "Hey, come to Easter. It'll be really fun." And you're like, waiting for that part to kick in. But but let's be serious here. Let's be intense here on purpose. Because listen, if Christianity can't handle that kind of disappointment, what good is it? If if Christianity can't handle that kind of disappointment, what's its value? What's its place? Surely God has something to say to us in the message of the gospel to those of us who thought life was going to go one way, who planned for life to go one way, and it went another way. For those of us like Peter, who between the failure of his plan and the failure of himself was devastated. That's where Peter was. His expectations were crushed. His failures were front and center. And here's what's amazing. If you keep reading the story in the, in the Bible, what you see is that Peter, who went outside and wept bitterly, who fell apart, who crumbled under the pressure, just 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, he is there in Jerusalem on the steps of the temple preaching to thousands of people that their only hope is Jesus. You go, whoa, 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 what? Yeah. Yeah, I know some of you, you're not as familiar with this story. That's exactly right. This guy who was Jesus' follower, who just fell apart, who denied him, who said, I don't want anything to do with him. I don't know the guy. He's the guy telling thousands of people, he's your only hope. So the question we have to ask is, what changed? What changed? What happened that could move someone from that kind of crushing, overwhelming despair and disappointment to that kind of hope and boldness and joy. What changed? What changed? Well, we think often, well, you know, it was just time. That's what we like to tell ourselves. Well, time heals all wounds. Listen, time is important, but time cannot heal all wounds. And Peter didn't have that much time. It was just 40 days. Something else changed. Here's what changed. First, Jesus rose. Jesus rose. The one who had died while Peter was abandoning him had died, had been buried, and rose from the dead. And Peter was a witness of this. Look at what it says. This is the last verse that Josh read to us just a moment ago. It says, Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Oh, I bet he did. There was nobody who needed Jesus to be alive more than Peter. And so he ran to that tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. He went from weeping bitterly to marveling. Why? Because Jesus rose. 
One author says, Peter didn't stay sad because Jesus didn't stay dead. (laughs) Jesus rose. That's what changed. Jesus rose. The second thing that changed is that Jesus restored. Jesus restored. This is even more personal. This is more touching. Because after Peter's a witness to Jesus' resurrection, Peter also gets to be personally restored by Jesus for his failure. If you read in John chapter 21, there's this just beautiful scene where uh, days have passed after the resurrection and Peter's back home at the Sea of Galilee. He was a fisherman and so he was maybe blowing off steam, maybe just had to get back to work, I don't know, but he's out there on the boat and Jesus comes to the shore and says, Peter, and just like Peter ran to the tomb that Easter morning, Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to shore and he gives Jesus a big wet hug and they have breakfast on the beach. And as they're talking and eating, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, yes, Lord, I love you. Second time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, you know that I love you. Third time, he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus tells him, follow me. Just as Peter had denied Jesus three times, Jesus mercifully, graciously, kindly, intentionally allows Peter to say three times, yes, I love you, to be fully restored, to be fully forgiven, to be fully brought back into relationship with him. That's what changed. What change that could take you from crushing disappointment to bold hope? Jesus rose and Jesus restored. So where does that leave us then? That's the next question. What does this mean for us? Well, it means two things for us. The first thing is that Jesus is making all things new. Jesus is making all things new. When Jesus rose from the dead, he did it as a preview of how he would make the whole world new. He rose as a preview of how all who had faith in him would rise and be given eternal life in a new heavens, in a new earth, making all things new. Get this, not all new things, but making all things new, which means if we've had disappointment, if we've had failure, if we've had loss, I don't know exactly how it works. And I don't know that there's always great answers and definitely not answers I could fully explain for why certain things have happened or been allowed to take place. I don't know that, but here's what I know. Jesus rose so we can have confidence that he is coming back to make all things new. Here's what it says, the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 21 says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Just yesterday, my youngest daughter, Mary, she's four, crushing disappointment when she couldn't watch the show she wanted to watch. She came to me crying, sobbing. And as her dad, I did what you do as a dad. I got down and I wiped her tear. And I gave her a hug. I said, come here. 
Come be with me. That's what Jesus is doing when he makes all things new. He's going to wipe away every tear. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Somehow, in a way that only he can do, he will take all of that loss and all of that grief and all of that disappointment and redeem it and make it new. Again, not all new things, all things new. Jesus is making all things new. Your disappointments and your losses do not have to win today. What else does this mean for us? Number two, your failures don't have to be final. Oh, is that good news? Your failures do not have to be final. Have you said the wrong thing? Have you done the wrong thing? Have you been bitter? Have you been harsh? Have you been angry? Have you been prideful? Have you been envious? Have you just lived for yourself? That doesn't have to be final. That doesn't have to be the last word. Just as Jesus offered Peter restoration, Jesus is offering you restoration. You can get in on this all things new thing. This is grace. This is God's love for you. This is God's kindness for you that in Christ, you can get in on the all things new thing. You can be forgiven. You can have friendship with Jesus. But listen, the ball's in your court. He's offering himself to you. The question is, will you receive him? Will you come to him? Will you follow him? You know, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. It's pretty simple. First, you admit that you're a sinner, that you have failed to love God the way you should, that you've done things you shouldn't do, that you have not done the things you should do. You admit it. Second, you believe in Christ. You believe that Jesus died on a cross for your sins, rose victoriously so that you could get in on the all things new thing. And you confess that he is Lord, that he's risen from the dead, that he loves you, and that you want to follow him. That's how you become a Christian, and that's how you get in on this thing. That's how you can live a life that doesn't end with your failures, that doesn't end just with your crushing disappointment. I've heard it said that the two rarest things in the world are a young man without pride and an old man without regret. And it strikes me that the gospel heals both of those things. Takes a young man filled with pride like Peter and says, you don't get in this because you got it together. You get in here because you're a failure. Will you admit it? And then it heals the regret because you don't have to live as though your failure is the end of the story, as though your sin is the last word because in Christ, your failure is not final. We don't have to stay sad because Jesus didn't stay dead. Amen. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the offer of the gospel, that you would heal us of our pride, that you would heal us, us of our regret, that in the times when our plans fail and in the times when we fail, you meet us with your hope, with your presence. And so, God, we ask now that you would give us hope in Jesus, that because Jesus rose and because Jesus restored, that we would know that we too can have hope. God, give us faith. Give us humility to admit our need. Give us confidence that Jesus is a treasure worth 
following. God, thank you for the living hope that we have. God, you don't answer all of the questions about why our hurts are so significant and so deep. You don't always tell us why things happen. But you do give us a real hope rooted in a real resurrection and the promise of a real return. Oh God, we long for the day you'll wipe every tear from our eyes. Jesus, come quickly. We pray in Christ's name, amen.